Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are here on site at the Backpacker location on Jefferson. I'm here with Michael Matthews, the owner of the Backpacker. I'm excited to hear his story of how they got started, his involvement with it, taking it over from his pops, and just all things outdoors, adventure related, and everything they've got going on. But before we get to that, I want to give a big, wonderful shout out and thank you to the amazing folks that bring you this show each and every week. Government Taco, Falaya Real Estate, Horizon Financial Group, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, Lake Men's Health Center, and you know the outfit of the day is always brought to you by McClavey Limited. Without further ado, Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, for hosting us in your Baton Rouge location. This is this is quite a setup. This is a good vibe you got going <laughs> in here. Thanks. Yeah, we're proud of it. I'm, uh, I'm excited to learn a lot more about what the backpacker is and does and what y'all do. So for starters, who are you and what the heck do you do? I think a few years ago, the guys uh, around here kind of started calling me, I think, um, chief adventure officer. So I kind of oversee all the aspects of this company. We have a travel company and we have a the retail side of the business and we're most well known for our uh, retail businesses. But, um, you know, we I kind of make sure that our customers are getting the products that they need and that we're um, seeing the return and protecting the jobs of our employees. So how did we get here? What is the the origin story of the backpacker? So it's a, uh, you know, this business is almost 50 years old. My um, dad was at a student at LSU when he was asked by the, uh, when he was working at the LSU Union and was asked by, and this is in the late 60s, to host an LSU ski trip, uh, or not host it, but organize an LSU ski trip. And he had never been skiing in his life. <laughs> I was about to say, well, yeah. what qualifications did he have to be asked to do this? Not many. Uh, but he, does, he, you know, he never he never backs down to a challenge. So he organized uh, LSU's first ski trip in uh, the late '60s, and on buses out to Red River, New Mexico. And um, after that, he kind of decided that, you know, he could do this, organize these ski trips. So he started doing ski trips on his own throughout the end of college, and uh, even after he graduated college, he was still hosting ski trips for LSU students and young adults and. Uh, he found himself eventually ordering uh, thermal underwear and Scotchgard and reselling it to his customers to get prepared for skiing. So put on this thermal underwear, then put your jeans on over it, and then cover your jeans with Scotchgard. And he'd mark it up and sell it to them. And uh, he knew he couldn't open a ski, ski shop in Louisiana, so he opened up an outdoor store in what, uh, on Chime Street in what's currently the Highland Road Coffee's location. Um, okay, I didn't know that was, so that was the first location on the Backpacker? Yeah, that was the first store. Okay. So, and um, fast forward to uh, the 80s, he bought this, he built this building, and um, and then, you know, evolved from there, and uh, fast forward to the mid-2000s, he was retiring, and I had bought it from him, and that's kind of where we are now. So. I gotcha. So, the mid-2000s. You came in and were like, I want to take this over. What's kind of your background? How did you get involved? Uh, I was at LSU. I was majoring in finance, and I'd been around the business. I'd been helping with some ski trip uh, sales and uh, organization, and I'd been helping with some uh, inventory and some buying and things like that. And I took a pause from all that to kind of explore the corporate world and worked at Shaw Group for a little while leading up to Hurricane Katrina. We all, you know, if you're in college at LSU during Katrina when that hit. Um, it's kind of a big milestone of things that changed in Baton Rouge. Um, and so when I was working at Shaw Group, he had an opportunity um, that to basically sell the business. And uh, he it was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm seriously considering this. So if you're interested, now's the time to speak up. So I kind of, uh, I said, sure, well, you know, corporate world will always be there. So let me uh, take a step back into it full time and see what I can do. So I finished my degree at LSU. And two months after I finished my degree, I signed the papers and bought the business from them. Two months? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was a it was a it was a busy, busy time. So I was 23. And I bought the business from them. And uh, we opened the last and actually about a year later, he retired completely. Okay, so you growing up, was there ever I mean, I'm always curious to hear the the growing up side of an entrepreneur household. So with him owning this business since the 80s, what 
What was that like growing up in that atmosphere of a dad owning a whole store and a whole business? I mean, I don't know any other way around it. You know, I don't know any other lifestyle to it. So, I mean, it was, um, I can't imagine it being too much different than other um, families other than, this, other than the fact that, you know, we had access to some outdoor things that we may not have had access to otherwise. Um, my dad was um, always excited about taking us to do fun stuff in the outdoors. Uh, he was still had this ski travel business was still um, very big part of the business. So we would go on the ski trips as a family and um, and have that, you know, we were fortunate, fortunate enough to be able to travel with the travel company. Um, so we got to do a lot of that stuff and, you know, my dad was home every night and, you know, it was never, it never felt like it was a, an overbearing workload or anything like that. If that's kind of the question that you're asking. Yeah. Like, was it, you know, were there stressful dinner conversations that were had, you know, cause it's, I grew up in a family business as well. My parents owned a, an industrial plumbing company. And oh, okay. so getting that environment of. You were always, or when you turn 16 or you turn 18, you're going to come and work for the family business. Was uh -huh. that kind of the vibe around y'all's house? Not really. Um, I mean, we had that option, and there was some areas where we would come in. My dad had a small store when I was in college, or when I was in high school. My dad had a small store on Government Street. Um, he owned that shopping center where Government Taco currently is. Okay. And that Government Taco location was actually a hockey store that he in the 90s rollerblading was a big deal and um we had a baton rouge even had a hockey team called the kingfish and so he kind of had he decided to break out that side of this business into his own store and so when i was in high school i was actually helping manage that store a little bit in support of you know just kind of giving help out go over there and close run the books that kind of thing um but that was kind of all we did. But I had other high school jobs as well. It was never like, this is what you need to do. Which I feel like as a, as a parent, you always kind of want them to know, not necessarily that the family business may be a safety net, but like it's always there. However, go out and get that outside world experience because maybe if they, you do want to come back, you can bring in some valuable information. Yeah, um, quite honest, I was probably too young to <laughs> bring in any information worth value. But, uh, you know, I think that... Um, it, we, we, it was never a super high-pressure situation where it was like, you need to be in the business, you need to be helping. And especially coming in at 23, that's a pretty young age to purchase an existing business, even if, even with it being a family business. I mean, at 23, I'm sure you had a lot of people looking and be like, wait, you're the, you're the owner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit surreal. I didn't really think of myself as that. It took me years for me to kind of come to terms with the fact that um, – Part of, I mean, part of it is I didn't have the financing to buy the business. It was a, it was a deal that was worked out inside the family. But, um, you know, it takes a couple of years to kind of get that feeling, of, that sense of ownership. Even though you know on paper that you're the owner, you need a little bit of time to really have that sense of ownership that you're real, that what you're working on is the fruits of your labor. Oh yeah, I mean, what were those first days as you being the, the CAO on paper? <laughs> Uh, you know, it was just business as usual. Um, uh, you know, I was, had a lot of energy, had a lot of ideas, had a lot of things I wanted to do. So I was just constantly trying to figure out how to execute those as fast as possible. Um, there was some things that I felt like after having worked on the sales floor and, um, worked in the business, I felt like there was some things that we could bring to the table that would help drive revenue and, and retain our customers. So, we were able to execute some of that stuff pretty quickly um, and that helped the business. And then we opened the Lafayette store not long after that. So um, it was it was a lot going on at once. I mean, it, there was a, it was a trial by fire for sure. And so what was the Lafayette store already slated to become a thing whenever you bought the business or were you kind of pushing for an, a store in Lafayette? It was... Um, it was it was slated. We had discussed it. We had picked a location. We were negotiating the lease by the time I had, <clears throat> excuse me, bought the business. So it was uh, it was already in the works. But I bought the business knowing that that was going to happen. Okay. So what kind of went into the discussions of we think it's time to open another store? I mean, because when you look at a, an entrepreneur's 
business, they're always, that first store is easy to manage because you can physically be there. But then going from one to two, what, what was that like? Um, it was a learning experience for both me and the um, team, the existing team that worked for my dad for so long and for um, me as an individual. Um, there was a lot of doing things myself. You know, I was hooking the kayak trailer up every weekend, going to demo, taking customers out on the water to go on demo days to sell them boats. Um, I was uh, making sure that every event I was at in both stores. So probably the biggest factor was that all of our events and all the things that I wanted to do for the business multiplied by two. So the world that I had learned of being at the business for every Saturday, every special event on a Saturday, when it multiplied by two, that was when our, it didn't take me long to realize that there's, this isn't sustainable. Yeah. And that's also something that is tough is going from that one to two is like, you can't, if something happens, you're an hour away. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you build a team that you can trust and know they're going to be able to run the store with you being away? It's, um, it takes a, it takes a leap of faith you know, for sure. And it took years for us to figure out what's the most important things that need to be done and how do we observe it? How do we uh, check in on that? And how do we, you know, make sure that that's, um, that it's being done to our standards? Because if you're not there for two weeks, you come back and this was much closer to the beginning of managing two stores, but you're gone for two weeks, you come back and the Floors haven't been swept, the bathrooms haven't been cleaned, the shirts haven't been folded, nothing's in size order, all these little things that you know as a retailer needs to be done. Um, but you eventually kind of learn how to manage that and you learn how to uh, retain uh, the people that can take care of those things. Yeah, and it goes to the importance of training on the job, both whenever you're in the hiring process and whenever you're within the continuation of employment. It's like, guys, we have checklist procedures we've got to get done in the store you know you can't just be on the floor and you know something puts gets put back you got to make sure that it's back and originally how it is and it's especially in a retail environment like you've got i mean everything is wide open it's not like you've got you know stacks of backup that people are looking at it's everything's client facing and it's all got to be presented in a way that's nice crisp and polished correct yeah so how do y'all manage, because y'all are essentially running two businesses. You've got the backpacker, the retail side of things, and uh-huh. you've got the travel loca- the travel business. Correct. Talk us through some of that. What's the travel side entail? So the travel side, so we just do ski trips. Um, we, we have, we ski, we travel about a thousand clients a year. Um, so, yeah. So we, um, we start about this time of year. Well, right now we're in the thick of our busiest week of the year is uh, Mardi Gras. So we'll have anywhere from four to 500 clients traveling the week of Mardi Gras. And then the remaining 500 clients are typically traveling spread out throughout the season. So Mardi Gras is our biggest week. We're really well known for it. We charter aircrafts and um, we and that way customers have a direct flight nonstop to the mountains. Um, people love that, especially in today's travel world. So much, so much gets can't so many flights get canceled. And you're able to say, instead of being at the airport at 5.30 a.m. for a uh, 7.30 flight, um, we're able to say, okay, we're going to take off at 11, you know, get there at 9.30, uh, get your bags on the plane, or, you know, check in and get your bags into security, and we're going to load up and we're going to take off at 11, and we're there, and it's a little bit more relaxed. And then the chances of delays and canceled flights and things like that is a big weight lifted off the class, especially when they're traveling with families. So that's a big thing that we do for Mardi Gras, and we're really well known for that, and we have a lot of repeat clients on those trips. Um, and then the, the, throughout the season, we have, so that team, Caroline and Reagan, they do a great job of managing and uh, providing customers. They know the properties that our customers like. They know where they like to stay. They know where they, um, what kind of, uh, if they want delivery rentals, if they want to check in in store and save some money. And so we have all these things kind of dialed in. So it's very easy for our customers to call us and pick up the phone and we take care of all those details for them. So have y'all always done the plane chartering? I mean, that's kind of, it's not a, it's not a small thing to do. It's not, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's like a big party bus in the sky. So everybody, everybody knows each other. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's just fun. It's like a, it's just a different kind of feeling. So it's it's not a small thing to pull off, but we've been doing it for so long that we kind of have the the secret recipe. So right now, Caroline and Reagan are working every day to 
prepare all the boarding passes and prepare all the customer packets. We've got customers coming in to pick up their ski trip information about what they're going to expect on their trip for Mardi Gras. And then, um, and then as soon as they get back, they'll start booking uh, customer customers for the next year. We start booking well over a year in advance for um, for the next ski season. So we've already got people booked for 23, 24. That's incredible. So, yeah. So, and that's always kind of been an element of y'all's company has been that travel side of things mm -hmm. and making sure, I mean, are you, are y'all planning every single detail for them or is it here are some um, locations we know is great, here are some places to stay. What is, what's involved in that process? Um, well, the first thing is for customers, we want to take out the guest work. You know, it's kind of like if you Google Disney vacation, it's like how many different websites and blogs can tell you what to do for Disney. It's the same thing with skiing, but it's actually even harder because when you Google search ski, family ski trip, every ski area is going to tell you that they're the best. Whereas Disney, there's only one Disney, right? So every skier is going to tell you that they're the best family vacation for reasons X, Y, and Z. And we know how to cut through all the stuff we've had. We know, I mean, we've sent, we've sent so many customers skiing that we know what customers love, what they hate. We know that if you go to a high elevation destination from Louisiana, somebody from your family, you okay? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if that makes it into the show, for those listening, I just fell out of the chair. Um, I don't know if it'll make it in the cut, but if it does, that's great. So oh, you never know what's going to happen while filming. Um, so anyway, so you were saying about how the number of clients you've taken, you've kind of figured out what is the places to go for family vacations and kind of cut through some of that overhypement, if you will, at these spots. Yeah, we do a good job of asking the customer what it is they're looking for, what their budget is, where they're um, trying to go. And we can cut through a lot of the, I guess, distractions and red tape that come up by just trying to plan it on your own. There's so much information out there. So if you call, and we guarantee the lowest price, so you're not going to pay any more by booking through us than you would through another party. So that's kind of our value um, that we add to it and create a, an experience for our customers to make it super easy so they don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, I mean, also, if you're... If you're first time going, I'm sure you have a lot of first time customers who are like, we want to go skiing as a family, but have no idea when and where to go, what equipment to use or anything of that nature. I mean, it's it's so much of an education side, I'm sure. It absolutely is. And there's just um, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. You know, where do you you know, where do you want to fly in? Do you have miles that you want to use? Um, what air, what airline are those miles with? We can narrow down your choices by which airline, which destinations cater to those airlines, you know, all those little little questions answer those things. How long do you want to go for? That may dictate, you know, if you only want to go for four nights, you might want to stay somewhere closer to home. You might not want to go all the way to, you know, Whistler, Canada, um, or something like so that if you're only going for four nights. Yeah. So where is, in your opinion, the best place to go skiing with a family? Oh, uh, I mean, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm such, I'm, I've been skiing my whole life. I really do love, I can... The the best way I, kn I know how to answer that question is uh, where where not to go, and um, or where where to avoid, and the th and I won't get into that. What's too the much, most popular place that people book? How the about most, that? Two most popular places that we book are Snowmass and Steamboat. Okay, they're convenient to Louisiana. They're easy, relatively easy to get to, and they are. Um, and we know how to we know how to get the deals there for that are reasonable. And the and the other thing too is the crowds are low. A lot of areas in Colorado get and Utah get very very crowded. So you want to avoid that. You don't want to spend forty five minutes in the lift line while you're on your vacation. Right. Which is very common if you choose the wrong area. And I feel like also the time of year during Mardi Gras it's going to be heavily populated with people from Louisiana because it's kind of schools are out and it's a time of year where not the rest of the country is going to be doing vacations of that sort. It's specific to our area almost. It is. And it's kind of great. You see Louisiana people up there. Um, you'll run into people, you know, but as long as um, Mardi Gras doesn't overlap with President's Day, then it's going to, you're going to have the mountain to, you know, Louisiana is off, 
Louisianians often have the mountains to themselves, especially if they pick a destination location that's not outside of a big city. Yeah, I mean, it's also like the the Disney experience during Mardi Gras. It's like everybody yeah. from Louisiana, I feel like, is going to Disney or skiing or something during yeah. Mardi Gras season, and you just find so many people that you already know and you can connect with, and it makes for that much of a better time. It does, and, you know, we'll actually help um, clients arrange to put their kids in ski school with kids that they know. Really? So it makes makes it a lot easier for a family. Let's say you're taking your six-year-old skiing for the first time, and you pretty much have to go to ski school. I mean, that you want to go to you want to send your child to ski school because the kids have fun with it. But if you put them in a class that's with their friends because they're on a trip with a bunch of other kids their age, it makes their experience so much more fun and better. And, and we see that a lot. And so that's it's special. I mean, we have the great-grandchildren of some of my dad's first clients that are going on our trips. So, you know, it's a very multi-generational thing where we've been servicing these clients for generations. And it's fun to see them grow up and enjoy it, and they talk to you about it, and they say, I grew up going on these trips. I can't wait to bring my kids on these trips and um, and experience it. And so we, we, we see a lot of that, and it's really great. Yeah, I mean, that's a testimony in and of itself, the fact that you've got these people coming for generations after generations. Clearly, all are doing something right. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then on that, within the travel side of things, you're also able to kind of outfit them if they don't have anything. So, like, if, if, if I was going skiing, I've got nothing, right? right. And I don't know anywhere. So, if I'm calling you and I'm saying, hey, you know, Michael, I want to go skiing, y'all are going to say, okay, what gear, like, what's the process of somebody to call up and say, you want to go skiing? Kind of how is that for a first-time customer? Well, the first thing we go through is just kind of we – lay out the trip and we find out what they're interested in and we get them all set up and uh, ready to travel and then we'll go through the gear process with them we'll um we do a small evening in november where we get customer we give customers a chance to come into the stores and and speak one-on-one -on -one with the staff members and learn about what they need on their skiers checklist and all that but you know we want the barrier to entry to skiing to be as easy as possible where our goal is not to book somebody on an expensive trip that's out of their budget and then get them in here and sell them the most expensive ski gear. We just want them to go skiing. So I, I tell all of our customers, like if you have friends that you can borrow stuff from and you're, you know, you're going for the first time, um, go and borrow stuff from friends, you know, make it, make it something where you don't feel stressed out about the trip so that you can actually go out there and enjoy yourself and, and enjoy the trip and not feel like, Oh, I spent all this money on gear or whatever. And, most of our customers come back, you know, because they enjoy it that much and they have a great time. And they're, and what's most important is their kids have a great time. And so many of our customers say it's our favorite family vacation. It beats Disney. It beats the beach. Our kids have a blast. We have a blast. And so the process of getting them outfitted is just another piece of that pie of making them making it as low stress and as easy for them as possible. And if they know that they don't have to buy gear for their kids every year because they can borrow their you know, their cousin's stuff or whatever, then it, it, it's, we try and make sure that we open those doors for them. And we also do a, an event in, in October where it's a $99 ski outfit for those people who do want their ski outfit. So you come, first 40 people in the door get a $99 ski outfit as opposed to spending $500 on an outfit. So it, again, lowers that barrier barrier to entry for customers. And what's, what's, what's this date again? October what? $99 <laughs> ski outfit? <laughs> You got to get on our email list. You'll find out. Okay, good, usually the, good, good usually the open date. We do it the open date of LSU football. Okay. So, okay. so and while we're while we're talking a lot about skiing and getting outfitted for that, do y'all offer anything else within the travel side, or is it mostly skiing? Um, we've explored doing summer trips. We've tried to do some of that. It's a lot harder to nail down, but this um, the ski trip. The ski travel seems to be our forte, and we added uh, another staff member to that side of the company um, a couple of years ago. And when we did that, um, it freed up our ability to service our ski trip customers more. So, it you know we weren't able to get to a, um, doing a summer trip because customers were so happy with having another person to help them. So um, we would like to do more. We do a lot of things with the kayak fishing community that's separate through the retail company where we, we do travel down to the coast and do special events and that kind of thing, but nothing as far as traveling outside of the state where we actually book travel. I mean, and that probably goes to show know one thing and do it the very best you can do and be the best in the business at it. I think that is what we're learning more and more about it for sure. 
So what other products or services are offered within the backpacker itself? Of course, we, as we discussed, we sell um, ski apparel and things like that, but we sell just um, outdoor gear and apparel. We sell a lot of athleisure apparel. We sell a lot of footwear, whether it's running shoes or trail shoes or uh, sandals. Um, we sell kayaks and uh, paddle sports items, uh, paddle boards, things like that. We sell ice chests. We sell... Um, uh, a lot of camping gear and backpacking gear. Uh, some of that's been uh, picking up a lot now that people are starting to travel back to Europe a lot again. So we're starting to see some rebound in the travel business. So, you know, the only thing that we don't carry is truly um, hunting and fishing hard goods. Um, so those, those are the things that we try and leave to the guys who carry guns and bows and arrows and those kind of things. Um, but if you want to go outdoors and you don't need a camo, item of clothing we can get you <laughs> covered yeah i love that so y'all are also in the process of opening another a third location yeah so tell, tell us a little bit more about where that's going to be and what all kind of went into that decision so we are opening an, our new location in mandeville on the north shore um it's uh it's going to be a great store it's gonna be a little bit smaller than our other two stores it's gonna be about 7400 square feet um we're super excited about it. It's going to be um, very close to the highway. So as people are traveling uh, to and from the coast and to and from um, Lake Pontchartrain and the Mississippi Gulf Coast and Alabama Gulf Coast, it's going to be very easy for them to get in and out of. And uh, it's also right off the um, causeway. So when you get off the causeway coming from New Orleans, it's going to be right there about uh, half a block off the highway. Um, so we decided to open that store because when we were shopping for new locations, we had been looking in um, the New Orleans area for quite some time, looking for the right spot. And, uh, you know, at the time we made the decision to build on the North Shore, it just felt right. The population up there is growing. We've got a lot of customers who, through our travel business, that book um, from the North Shore. And we've got... Um, and there's a lot of, uh, and there, it's, it's really kind of, if you look at it, South Louisiana's adventure epicenter, they've got some great state parks. They've got the uh, uh, St. Tammany Trace uh, Trail. They've got a lot of paddling, uh, a lot of waterways, that kind of thing. So it's definitely a very uh, stimulating environment for adventure and outdoors. So y'all said y'all were shopping around for new locations. At what point do you know it's time to open another location? Um... We felt that we've had the team in place. Um, we've built out, we spent the last several years building out a leadership team who's capable of um, handling the challenges of taking on a new location. And uh, that was kind of one of the major decisions that made me feel comfortable with being able to make that leap of faith. Again, like I said, opening Lafayette was a leap of faith. Opening this new store is a leap of faith. But I have a, um, a big belief in the, peop in the people that work for uh, any business. And I know we've got a great team, and they're, um, ready up, they're up for the challenge. So, so in looking at, like, a, a brick-and-mortar versus a heavy online presence where people are more and more trying to find ease of shopping, what – I mean, I know here you've got a lot of stuff where you can outfit people specifically for their needs – how has that been from an online presence versus a retail presence for y'all over the years? We have an online presence and we do sell online. Um, we do uh, see a lot of customers using it as a shopping tool. So Google Analytics gives you so much information from where customers are to where we can expect to um, see them coming from. So we get a lot of good information, but customers still like to shop in store. And when we have... Um, when we're able to provide them exciting product and keep our shelves full of the stuff that they really want, and um, then we're able to, then they're able, then they're interested in coming in and trying it on in person. Uh, we still um, put a lot of emphasis on making sure that our website is up to up to up to speed with the inventory that we carry, and that it has all the information that our customers need to shop effectively. But um, and we do have challenges for sure. I mean, I don't want to say challenges, but Online competition isn't going anywhere. We know that. It's, it's here to stay. But sometimes it's good to show customers that it's been, for a long time, 15 years ago, online was perceived as this place to find cheap, a lower, find cheap or lower prices. Um, same product at lower prices. But all, all that's kind of going away. It, it's actually showed customers that we're fair, 
just because you shop local doesn't mean you're going to get ripped off. And just because you shop local, you or just because you shop local, you have to pay sales tax online just as you do in store. So a lot of those things have kind of subsided, make, thus making the idea of being able to feel it and touch it before you buy it much more appealing. The other thing too is how many times have you ordered something online and you and it's not what you expected because you didn't touch or feel it and then you forget to send it back. It sits in your closet and six months goes by and you're like, I can't even send it back. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that and people kind of get burned by that. And I think the idea of touching and feel it is still very prominent in what we do. Oh, 100%, especially in like the sizing of things. Like we just ordered a new pair of shoes for our son and they showed up online and we put them on his feet like, you can't fit in this. This doesn't work. The yeah. sizing's inaccurate. So, you know, had gone in store, you could actually try it on, make sure it fits and then get it right then and there as opposed to waiting for a couple of days. And I think especially since COVID, and I'm sure you all have experienced this, people are now wanting to go back into stores for either a human interaction or just actually being able to, again, touch and feel the product instead of having to order it online and wait for it. And you're ordering potentially based off of somebody reviewing it online. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely... Been, I mean, we saw shortly after we opened, after we closed for COVID, we closed for COVID for about 45 days. And after we opened, we saw customers continually interested in coming in store. I mean, it was not, it never, um, people were looking for an outlet to get get out and, and see the world. And I think that that's still the case. I think people want to be out and about and doing stuff. And the other thing too, is that we, you know, we've got a great team. Our guys love to help customers and you got to love to help customers provide an experience if you know, you want to make it. And um, that's something that we pride ourselves in is knowing the gear and having fun outfitting customers. And I think that's going to be a, a huge element continuously happening for brick and mortar locations is that level of expertise and that level of customer experience. I mean, what you've built here, the inside of the store feels like you're in a lodge. You know, it feels like you're in a, a ski lodge or some type of outdoors environment that you've taken and harnessed within your store. So now you're given an experience. And I mean, how important is that when you're hiring new team members and training them to have an emphasis on the shopping experience itself? It is. We have a um, what we call a store grade process where we go through and we check off every week to make sure that they're upholding the standards that we want our customers to experience. And um, and that's a big part of it. We, we know that's that's huge. Um, and, and the big box stores and the stores in the malls, are, they're not going to be able to pull that off. Yeah, I mean, they just, you can't, especially in the different departments you've got, you can't have like one person know everything as we were kind of talking beforehand. It's important to have a team that knows and can specialize in a certain area that they know what they're telling the customer and it can be accurate and the customer feels confident in their decision making. I mean, that's ultimately what the sales rep on the floor is supposed to be is give that customer confidence. So when they walk out, they know I made a good purchase. It's going to be exactly what I need. And there's no doubt in their mind what they got. Yeah. And even if they get home and they have uh, any kind of second guessing, they can pick up the phone and call their salesperson. And we're happy to help them solve their issue. Yeah. And so we actually got introduced by a past guest, Brock Miller with um, yeah. LA Custom Kayaks. And uh -huh. I, was, I was looking around in the store and y'all do some like fitting, outfitting of that nature as well within the backpacker. We do. Yeah. We do a lot of, uh, we, ins we build these custom uh, fishing setups for kayaks and allow customers to pick their kayak and outfit it the way they want, especially with kayak fishing now and technology and everything. We'll do everything from a, a high-resolution high GPS depth finder to um, uh, stand-up bars where they're able to actually put their fishing rods on a bar that's mounted and they can stand up on the kayak. And we'll reposition uh, hatches. We'll put uh, decking on the boat that matches their tastes. Um, so we can do all kinds of stuff. We can put power poles, which is an electronic anchor. Uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff we can do in those kayaks. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like just how far advanced the technology has come for something like that and how uh, big of a sport it's been. I mean, have, what have y'all seen that kind of skyrocket over the last few years? Uh, I mean, you know, when I took over the business in 2006, kayak fishing was just becoming a thing. And people were taking these river kayaks and figuring out, like, I can access areas of the marsh in Louisiana that you can't get to on foot because the ground is too soft and you can't get to in a boat because the water's too shallow. And they figured out like how, just the capability of these things. And we saw it skyrocket, skyrocket from 
about 2007 until about 2015, where we saw participation in kayak fishing tournaments of these online forums when people chatting online was just a new concept from, we we'd go to tournaments where there's 40 people and then we go to the same tournament in 2015 where there's 400 people. It was just, it grew and the community around it is just astronomical and the, and the technology and the um, efficiency of the boats built. I mean, a lot of kayak companies started divesting in their traditional river and sea kayaks and started investing in these coastal fishing kayaks. And the, and the average price of a kayak went up fivefold because people, and people were interested in paying it because they wanted to be, they wanted to have the best of the best experience when they were fishing out of them. So yeah, we've seen it change in a big way. And Ride the Bull Kayak Fishing Tournament is the largest kayak fishing tournament in the world. And it's right here in Grand Isle. And we were um, fortunate enough to make friends with Danny Ray who founded that tournament in, 20, in 2009 and his wife, Kristen Ray. And we've been involved ever since. So um, what's y'all's level of involvement with them? With um, like with the with the fishing rodeo. Oh, we're still uh, one of the top sponsors. Okay, so do y'all go out there with like a tent and all that stuff oh, and yeah. set it up? Yeah, and we kind of and uh, so Danny Ray has uh, stepped back from Ride the Bull and CCA has taken over. His wife Kristen, unfortunately, the kayak fishing community and Danny lost her to cancer in 2016 or 17, and um, so he stepped back after that. And CCA Louisiana took it over and they've done a great job with it. So. Um, we're still very much involved in uh, communicating with CCA on a regular ba- CCA on a regular basis about the kayak fishing tournament, making sure it goes well, making sure that we're helping boost the participation and being involved. And so we're um, we see it from the ground up every year, more or less. Not to the CC, not to the level the CCA is involved because they do so much to make it happen. But we're right alongside of them. I love that. So I also noticed y'all have got like a backpacker suburban that y'all is just like an iconic piece. What's what's uh-huh. the story behind the suburban? That's a funny. That's funny you ask that. So uh, there's a there's twofold part of it. There, I was I don't know probably seven or eight years ago. I was uh, on the coast in Mississippi Gulf Coast, and there was a paddleboard shop, and they had a Jeep, uh, like a big old like uh, Jeep CJ7 or something like that from the 80s with paddleboards stacked on the roof. I was like, that's that's pretty cool. I should look into that. So I started looking into old vehicles and old SU- old old four-wheel drive open top SUVs aren't cheap online, even when you go to look at them. <laughs> not and, when they're fully refurbished, no. No, even if they're not fully refurbished, you know, you can get a rust bucket for $15,000 that you got to put another 20 into it. So I started shopping around and, uh, and I stumbled across a uh, white 1974 Suburban. And when my dad started the business, he was... Um, doing kayak or canoe rentals with my mom's 1950s Peugeot, which is a European car at the time. He would pull a canoe trailer to and from work every day with a wooden sign on it that said kayak rentals. So in 1974, he was like, I can't, or canoe rentals, I'm sorry. I can't keep doing this. So he bought a 1974 white Suburban. So I stumbled upon, when I was shopping for SUVs, a white 1974 Suburban. And it just spoke to me because the original Suburban he had with the backpacker logos hand-painted on the side. And um, it, it had a roof. But uh, so when I was looking for a, a chop top ve- or a roofless vehicle, I found this white Suburban that just spoke to me immediately. And I was like, I, I got to get that. I got to buy that one. So I bought it. And um, it's been about eight months in the body shop where they chopped the top off, built a roll cage, um, and polished it up and repainted it. And then now it looks like what it is now. So it's, it's a fun vehicle to have. I like oh to drive gosh, it around. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, a Jeep guy myself. And I, every time I see you driving around town and I think I'm like, man, that's a, that's a cool ride. Yeah. It's fun. It's got three rows in it. We take it to LSU football games. We tailgate in it. We'll take it to the coast and all that. So it's, it's definitely fun. Well, and it's also cool that it's got that significance of being the same year and make and model of what your dad originally used. I mean, I think that's a really cool component of the story in itself. It is. And my brother and I always dreamed of taking his Suburban because he had it until the late 90s. And um, and he was like, you can either do something with it or I'm going to get rid of it. And he ended up trading it for $75 worth of firewood. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, so a run, it was running at the time? It was running, but it only went in reverse. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> All right, so $75 worth of firewood for the Suburban. Yeah, basically he was saying, I'll trade you firewood if you take it off my property. <laughs> well, And uh, so he got his $75 worth of firewood and we lost it forever, but we brought it back. Good. So a little bit better better than ever. So did you initially like try to find the original one? I didn't even bother. It was, uh, it, it was not... I, it was not really exactly the way I, that I would have wanted it, and I, I found this other one that was more along the lines of what I wanted. It was a it was a four wheel drive. It was stick shift. It was had a bigger motor. It had all those little things that it I went thought forward. that I wanted, and it went forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I love that, and it's like it's almost become an iconic branding element of your store for the most part, like on your website, y'all, your whole team yeah. standing in the picture of it. It's, it's pretty cool to have it kind of, I mean, is it your mascot of the backpacker almost at this point? Yeah, probably so. I mean, people love it. And we used to park it outside the building, but it was getting so much wear and tear from the weather and just being next to the, next to Jefferson highway that, uh, it's now it cleaned up and sitting in my garage at home. Okay. I, I was about to ask, cause I've driven by many a times in the downpour thunderstorm and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. there's the upholstery in that thing just has to be non-existent at all it's it got pretty beat up it's got old vinyl seats and the sun took did their number on it um but so that's when i decided to clean it up and leave it inside so it's in much it's in great shape and uh i mean it's not perfect it's by no means restored but for what we needed to do it's perfect yeah it's still a 74 suburban with no top on it like there's only so far an expectation standpoint that you can go with a vehicle of that age yeah and i mean actually i'll take it on the highway i'll load it up in um the summertime uh, we grew up grow, uh, in Pass Cruchet, Mississippi, on the Gulf Coast, and so we we still take our kids there a lot. So I'll take it over there in May and leave it over there for a couple of months and drive it around there. And I can drive it on the interstate, so it's not a not a difficult thing to drive. It still runs seventy miles an hour. So how, how loud is it? Because I, I had a '94 Jeep that I would take on the interstate with no doors or top, and it got <laughs> it was a loud experience on the interstate. If I wear my AirPods, I can talk on the phone. <laughs> really? Yeah. And it won't have like the wind. That's impressive. No, it's got a windshield. I, you know, it's got a windshield, but like yeah. the, the noise whipping around that windshield. It's not too bad, but that's you good. know, it's got full doors, so it <laughs> <laughs> that's a help. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's loud, but it's not it's not painfully loud. So having three locations in different cities, what is the kind of the ecosystem, the, the environment like between the three stores? With us being here in the Baton Rouge location, and then going moving to like adding a location in Lafayette and the Mandeville area, how is that environment, that business environment, differ from the Baton Rouge scene? You know, I spent a lot of time trying to personally maintain culture and taking it upon myself to try and be. Um, try and I guess generate that area and culture is very important but I realized that you can't do it yourself you know you've got to you've got to start somewhere so we've actually got a leadership team and they help manage those uh, that environment and help um, keep everybody in communication but it's it's definitely had an evolving process of of figuring out what the best way is to manage that ecosystem Um, but we've kind of got it dialed in we'll see with the addition of the third store if it stays that way I, I i have good confidence like i told you earlier i have a lot of faith in our team we have great team members um so there's um so i i believe that we'll be able to use what we've built over the last several years and and stimulate that ecosystem throughout the uh next decade yeah, and that the element of you know the component of team members is so important especially in a retail space like they're always dealing with clients and customers and once you get to the multiple steps like as a business owner you're kind of you get to the point where you're hands off but they've still got to deliver the expectations and the mission that was originally set out whenever your dad opened it whenever you took over so it's a lot of faith as an entrepreneur to put in the employees to continue carrying that legacy almost over the years and now on across multiple stores and it's i'm sure it's a challenge day in and day out to make sure that the new hires can fit the team well that you've already built so beautifully over the years. Yeah, it's a big it's a big part of the process, and um, you know we believe firmly in um, what we're doing here and what we and the experience that we offer our customers. Our customers they love to have fun outdoors, and we need to make it as easy for them as possible. And if they come in and have a, a rough experience, then we know that that's going to make their 
enjoyment in the outdoors even more difficult. So um, we need to, um, so we have to stand by our values first and that comes first. And if an employee doesn't fit those values and if an employee doesn't um, want to show up on time or be dependable when they start with our team, then they're, they're going to, you know, have a, an impact on the team that doesn't help. It, it's, it's, it doesn't help our customers enjoy the outdoors. Right. And we have to stand by that. And at the end of the day, that's the goal is making sure that people are getting outdoors and getting doing activities they weren't doing before they walked in. You know, it's not to just try to fill an immediate need. It's try to build a long-term hobby or a long-term passion that people can have when they're experiencing the outdoors. Yeah. And you'd be amazed with selling them the right stove when they take their camping, their family camping for the first time will do for that child's experience when they go camping in their serve fre- and they serve fresh eggs on their camping trip and they're like wow this is amazing we can cook outdoors you know and you know dad's got hot chocolate for us in the morning when we wake up and it's cold outside you know i mean those kind of things matter a hundred percent and if you don't have the right gear it can quickly turn into a miserable experience i mean if you my, my brothers went elk hunting in colorado last year and had they not had the right sleeping bags. My, one of my brothers bought the right gear and my other brother was like, nah, I've already, I'm gonna use what I've already got. Yeah. And it was like a 10, 15 year old <laughs> sleeping bag. And after the first night of them sleeping outside, they quickly went and found an outfitter <laughs> <laughs> with it, within their, their location. Like, I don't care what it costs. Right, I just yeah. want the right piece of equipment that's gonna keep me warm in eight degree mountain weather. Yeah, and sometimes you don't, sometimes people don't even make it that far. You know, they have one night out there with a bad experience and it's like, no, we're going home. We're done, never doing this again. You know, you hear that a lot. And so we gotta make sure that our customers are well prepared for that if we wanna make sure that they love the outdoors and as much as we do. Yeah, that's, I put my wife through one bad tent camping experience. And <laughs> after that, she said, I'm not going until you buy the right stuff. So right. The, the next year we had a nice big inflatable queen size mattress, she right. had pillows, she had blankets, everything. I was like, you're just, just like you're, you're our bed at home. I'm like, here yeah. you go. Now it's, she is, I was like, this is a form of glamping, but you got it. You know, oh, we yeah. got the right stuff and it was much more enjoyable the second time exactly. around. Exactly. <laughs> it makes a big difference for sure. Yeah, and it's also, a, I mean, it goes back to that, that education. You don't know what you don't know. So if someone's going planning a camping trip and they think I need a tent, sleeping bags, and I'm good. It's like, well, you really need a whole bunch of other gear, depending right. on what you're, how, how, how long are you going for? Are you going for just an overnight? Yeah, you may be able to get by with that, but do you have proper coolers? Do you have proper fire starting equipment? Do you have everything you need? Or are you going to try to rough and tough it and figure things out? And at that point, you're just trying to survive. You're not like camping and enjoying what you've got. You're putting more stress on yourself. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people want to try and figure it out on, uh, want to try and figure it out. And they, you know, it ends up being a tough experience for them. So do you all have customers that will come in and describe the experience they're trying to go for and not purchase something saying, no, we don't want to have that. And then coming back after that trip and being like, okay, whatever you told me initially to buy, I want to fill that now. (laughs) (laughs) We see a little bit of that. I mean, I think the, the, you know, there's certain check boxes. If somebody comes in on a budget or they, maybe they're not quite ready to fully invest, there's certain boxes you want to check, right? Like you want to like, okay, you're not, you're going this weekend. It's not predicted to rain. You can get away with that Walmart tent, but make sure you got a comfortable sleeping pad and a warm sleeping bag, you know, that, those kind of things. Like, and then the second time you go and it rains and that Walmart tent leaks, which we know it's going to do, then you're going to change your mind and come in and get the right gear. But you're, there's certain things you can do to make sure that your experience is, is positive by not breaking the bank. You know, maybe you don't need to come in and spend $1,500 on all new gear, but you come in and spend couple of hundred and get and check off a few boxes i've i've had a uh, many a walmart tent experiences <laughs> and uh <laughs> it uh we quickly it, it was so bad we brought we had a tent we we're like oh it's an old family tent it should be fine um and then one of my friends was like let's just bring a tarp just in case <laughs> we were very thankful for that tarp when about 10 o'clock at night it started downpouring and we had quickly found out there was holes in the tent. Oh, for sure. So we, we were blue tarping in a tent while camping <laughs> just to stay dry. So been there, done that many a times. The right gear is is crucial for a good, fun experience. It so, does. It makes all the difference. So. Last thing you need is a cold, wet night on the hardwood, on, on the ground. A lot of people have had that. Trust me, we, we hear it all. So what is, I want, I'm curious to know, if, have you ever had a bad camping experience and if so, what's like your worst camping experience? 
I don't know. You know, we we had so many good experiences as kids growing up camping. Um, and even when the situation wasn't perfect, we we, we were able to come up with a solution. Um, probably, I mean, really probably the toughest one was I went to camp when I was a kid at a camp up in Alabama. And about halfway through the two-week camp stint, we were... They were like, okay, we're going to drive you all up to North Carolina and we're going to go whitewater rafting, which was great. The rafting was a blast, but we had, um, we were camping that night and they pull out these, you know, Sports Unlimited or whatever tents out of boxes and uh, set them all up. And um, and the counselors didn't care what we were doing. They were like, okay, set up your tent, whatever. And it was on a slope and it rained all night and the bottom and the bottom end of the tent filled up with water and the whole tent was leaking there was no getting around it and everybody was soaking wet and there was no sleeping that night i mean that was probably like one of the toughest experiences ever because and for me i grew up with great camping experiences so it was hard for me to uh embrace that moment the way that you know some people might have but it didn't stop me from because i knew the difference yeah, I was about to say, it's hard to see somebody think that they know what they've got under control when you've been through the, when the exact <laughs> same situation hundreds of times and you're just like having to sit back and, okay, I'm going to let you take charge and let you do what you're going to do, but it's going to be rough. Well, you know, when you're a 35-year-old uh, camp manager or 40-year-old camp manager and you hear a seventh grader trying to tell you that that's wrong, they don't, they don't bite into that very easily. Yeah, I, I imagine if you were to say something, they probably wouldn't. They probably they don't what, take it what, seriously. What do you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. And the last thing you're going to say is, well, I've been on hundreds of camping trips with my yeah. family. I probably know a little bit. But you just kind of sit back and let it happen. Yeah, and it's a, a valuable learning experience. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so as we kind of start to wrap up the show, we have a set list of questions that we like to ask every guest. Mm -hmm. The first one is, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? You know, this is probably going to sound ridiculous, but I'm I'm kind of still a, a kid at heart, and I, and I don't stop doing the things that I enjoy, you know. I, so... I don't know. I kind of enjoy being an adult. An adult. So I, I looked. I love that answer. Yeah. In fact, you're still doing everything you did. As, <laughs> I, look, I love that. That's that's a good um, a good trait to maintain. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, my hobbies have gotten a little more expensive, and my hobbies have gotten a little bit more uh, demanding. But you know, I still get to go skiing. I still spend time on my boat. I take my kids fishing. Um, so the the things that I enjoyed as a kid. Um, I'm doing as an adult, so. Love that. So what are three lessons you've learned along the way? Um, people are super important. Um, they're, the people around you are, um, are so great to work with and um, best people is definitely something that we um, practice here and that we, we really enjoy the people that we work with. So that's one thing that I've learned that I didn't bite into early on as much as I should have. Um, but that's definitely one thing that um, I've learned. The other thing is too, that uh, there's some, some things you just got to let go. You know, you can't do everything yourself. And if you try, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Um, that's definitely something else that I've had to learn and I've lived a better life because of that. Um, I think um, lastly is, uh, you know, that I've learned is just don't give up. You know, there's no matter what, no matter which direction you go, life's going to throw you challenges. Um, there's always going to be hard moments. There's always going to be easier moments. You're going to have the wind at your back sometimes. You're going to have the headwinds. But if you give up and you try and do something different, um, you're just going to get, put yourself in another position of challenge. It's going to bring the same level of, um, that's going to test your personality and test your will, no matter which direction, no matter which direction you go. So if you maintain your course, you're going to hit challenges no matter what. So stick with it, tackle your challenges, accept that that's how life is. And, and, and if you can do that, then the headwind, then when you get the tailwind is going to be even better. Absolutely. I love that. So what is, Something you love about Baton Rouge? I love raising my family here. You know, I love spending time with my family here. I love, um, you know, we, we, we're, we're pretty well located to the things we like to do. Um, 
but we love our friends. We love um, the community. Uh, and it hasn't, and Baton Rouge has never stopped us from being ourselves as a family and, and doing the things we love. Yeah. That's, I mean, look, I'm right in the same boat as you. Got a kid raising a family here, and it's, it's Saturday. We ha- were able to go within 30 minutes and do anything we wanted to do. Yeah. We were able to go to a park, get lunch, go have a picnic, and it was like all within 20, 30 minutes of drive time from where we live here in Baton Rouge. Yeah. So that was fun and exciting thing to do. I wish there was a ski mountain 30 <laughs> minutes outside of town, but, you know, that's the only thing that's missing. I, I don't think we have a mountain in the state that would be adequate to ski on. I mean, you know, if we got enough snow, the levee would be adequate. This is true. It'd be a very short run. <laughs> It'd be a real be quick a short, short run. run. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for the final question, what can I do to help you? You know, I appreciate what you're doing. Talking to local business owners, reminding uh, the community that um, that we're still out there and that we exist and that we're, uh, we're working hard every day to make sure that our customers have a great experience and that um, it's still a relevant part of our community. So I think what you're, you know, what you're doing is great and keep doing it. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate your time. Um, got a wonderful space here and I'm excited to see the new stores opening and what that's going to look like in this, the progression and trajectory the backpackers want in general. Yeah, appreciate I'm that. I'm excited. So thank you and thank you everybody else for listening or watching whatever platform you're consuming us on. Um, if we leave in the fall, that's going to be hilarious. And if not, We'll post it somewhere. So thank you all so very much for tuning in. Thank you again for Michael coming on about the Backpacker. If you're interested in their ski trip, we're going to link their website and a way to contact them in the show notes. So check that out there. And also a big thank you to the wonderful folks and sponsors that make the show possible each and every week. We're going to have a little bit more about them right after this. So you're home for a $399 flat fee with Falaya. No, seriously. Falaya will list your home on the MLS and help you get all the way to the closing table for as little as a $3.99 flat fee. Our online platform is insanely easy to use and will save you thousands. If you're thinking about selling your home in 2022 and want to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket, you need to check out Falaya. Falaya, real estate reimagined. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Patty G Show brought to you by Government Taco. They're located on the corner of Government Street and Jefferson Highway. Jay is always slinging up a new taco of the month. So if you're a frequenter to Government Taco, let us know in the comments what you thought about this month's taco of the month. If you're not a frequenter, maybe trying out this month's taco might just convert you. Big thanks over to them at Government Taco for making the Patty G Show possible. Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away, it's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, way far in the distance, not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway, Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left, but the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life. Shopping for a car, they're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you, 
signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux, you won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves, where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out. Our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you. McClavey's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40 plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply a shirt that you need for one evening or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're going to take care of you every step of the way and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you.